Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In 2021, more than 17 states so far have introduced some form of privacy-related legislation, and there's likely more to come. Shareholders Alyssa Garden-Schwartz and David Hale discuss Virginia's imminent Consumer Data Protection Act and other state laws poised for passage, the legislative volley over a federal privacy statute, lessons learned from other consumer protection laws, and the potential frustration for businesses and consumers alike. When this podcast was recorded, Virginia had not yet passed its new privacy law. Hi, and um, welcome again to the Brownstein podcast series. My name is Alyssa Garden-Schwartz. I am a shareholder in the firm's Denver office in our litigation department, specializing in consumer protection, which includes data privacy and data security. And I'm joined again by David Hale, who is a shareholder in our DC office uh, in our intellectual property department, um, and who specializes in all things privacy and privacy compliance. So this is the, the second installment of our, our privacy podcast series. And um, even though it's only been a month, we have a lot to talk about on the privacy front, um, particularly related to the amount of activity we're seeing in state legislatures related to privacy. So um, we have already seen, I think it's about 17 states thus far, propose some form of privacy legislation. Um, in some states, it's more than one piece of legislation. And oddly enough, because Washington state proposed legislation for, I think this is the third year that they have tried to run privacy legislation sort of akin to the uh, California Consumer Protection Act, we are actually seeing that it's Virginia that seems to be the state that's next up to pass somewhat comprehensive data privacy legislation. Um, the, the bill has passed both chambers and it's now sitting with the governor and uh, our understanding is that it will be signed in April. And so we wanted to sort of kick off the discussion today by talking about um, you know, you have the CCPA in place, you have Virginia, um, which will be in place. It's um, actually also scheduled to um, become effective in January 2023 when uh, the CPRA in California is scheduled to um, go into effect. But, you know, Virginia does not mirror the CCPA exactly. It has some common elements, but is being described as a little bit more business friendly. Definitions are different. Uh, and we're seeing that too in, in some of the other bills that have been proposed throughout the country. And you know, all these, these pieces of legislation um, have sort of the same general components around uh, consumer privacy rights, but they may read a little bit differently. And so since David, as we discussed on our last podcast, it was at one point in-house, the chief privacy officer at TD Ameritrade and, and dealt with compliance issues daily. You know, David, how do you go about dealing with complying with a variety of state laws that may sort of track each other, but not entirely? 
Wow. So that's a great question to start off with and, and, and an incredibly hard one. Um, and I think that it remains to be seen exactly how companies end up dealing with this. And, and it will depend a little bit about how they ultimately all end up. Right. So we uh, there will be a, a period of time between when the first rounds of these uh, laws like the Virginia law get passed and when they actually go into effect, which may mean, uh, you know, a federal bill uh, intervenes in the in the meantime and uh, and unifies some of these laws. But I think it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, obviously, companies already deal with these issues on some level in on the international stage. Right. That, that the EU has a very different uh, law than the United States does, which is again, you know, different from from a lot of the uh, Asia Pacific countries, and then countries like Brazil and China and and Russia all have very unique and different data privacy, data protection laws as well. But on an international level, it it's a little easier to resolve because oftentimes you have a separate website for each of those countries um, that's driven by language and currency and other local regulations that you have to deal with separately for each of those countries anyway, where, you know, the market in the United States is from a web perspective, from an internet perspective, just more or less a single market. Um, there are certainly some industries that are uh, individually regulated by the states and, and they have, you know, robust, you know, compliance operations to to deal with that, but there are specialized markets like insurance, and you tend to see um, disclosures in those industries that are that are kind of hairy, right? It's difficult to know whether they're really effective from a consumer perspective when you have uh, you know a, a disclosure in a financial services or a insurance context that's pages and pages and long because it has to address each individual state separately and. I think when we get to a, when we start to deal with that on a privacy um, uh, side, it's going to make the thing very confusing. You know, we were looking this week at comparing the Virginia law to the California law, which immediately led to this question of, well, which California law are we, are we comparing to the existing CCPA or the, the CPRA as it will be in 2023? And you get very different answers there you know, depending on what which which law you compare to. But just looking at the at two laws or three laws, if you will, and the differences in definitions, the difficulty is going to be coming up with some sort of unified way of of describing your practices to uh to, to folks generally that doesn't end up being fractured into here's your California disclosure, here's your Virginia disclosure, which will look very, very similar but be slightly different. I mean, I think, you know, a couple examples of that are, you know, just, just definitions within these, um, within these laws. The, take, for example, sensitive data. The California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, doesn't have any real concept of sensitive data. Um, the Virginia law and the CPRA both have a category that's called sensitive data, but they're different. Um, they both include geolocation, they both include um, biometrics that are intended to identify you, which I think is is intended to distinguish from, you know, a biometric that might just identify that you're a person. Uh, you know, say for example, that's counting people as they come through a door or something. Uh, information about a child, all of that's in common, 
the Virginia law, though, uses uh, uh, adds in that a whole category that's very similar to the European concept of sensitive information. So religion, uh, ethnicity, um, uh, gender, uh, sexuality. Uh, interestingly, in Virginia, it takes off uh, one of those categories that's in Europe is trade union membership. Uh, Virginia drops that. Um, California includes it in sensitive information. California adds into those categories philosophical beliefs and adds the categories of information that are generally in the in, uh, trigger breach notice obligations, social security numbers, uh, username and password combinations, driver's license numbers, and add the contents of communications where that's not being revealed to the people who were, were part of the communication. So things like emails, right? So the contents of emails would be sensitive information. So when you're just turning around and thinking about, well, how do I describe to an individual? So both laws have a requirement that if someone asks, you have to tell them what sort of information you have and what you do with it. And one of the categories is sensitive information. Well, how do I describe, describe to an individual what information about them I collect using that, that, that name, sensitive information, when, when the two, for the two states, they're different. So if I collect, say, social security number because I'm a financial institution, actually, maybe that's a bad example because financial institutions are treated very specially by these laws. But let's say for some reason I collect a social security number uh, for some other reason. Well, under California law, I have to say now that I'm, I'm collecting sensitive information, but in Virginia, I don't. And so in one state, I am, in one state, I'm not. And, you know, how do I accurately describe that in both cases? And, and I think that in the short answer is for many entities, you may just have to have a separate privacy disclosure for those two states and probably a third one for the rest of the United States. Or it may ultimately end up with you know, 13 or 14 different, you know, pick your state, <laughs> you, know, you click first on the privacy link to the privacy policy, and then it will say, well, tell us what state you're in, and we'll, we'll give you the right privacy policy. And that's going to be very confusing to consumers, at the least, not to mention just be monumentally confusing to the people who are actually tasked with keeping all of this straight within a company. It's, you know, it's not trivial to keep all of these things distinct. And if it's important, then that would be one thing, but it's not really very clear that, that the differences between these laws really have meaningful, you know, privacy differences uh, to the individuals. These, these changes are, you know, essentially you know, dependent on other things and, 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 and in some sense, random from a privacy perspective. Um, I think another aspect of that is that, that that's going to, um, you know, be a, a you know, confusing or things like definition of sale, um, which is, has been very controversial in their California law. Virginia has a similar but not identical uh, definition of, of sale. For example, Virginia excludes sharing information between affiliated companies where California doesn't seem to have that um, uh, as a, California is just ambiguous with regard to that. It doesn't specifically exclude it. And then things like uh, words like share, right? Virgi uh, California's new law, the CPRA, defines share really narrowly. It's um, you know it's sharing sharing, if you will, with, with other companies, for uh, specifically for the purpose of cross-site marketing, and that's a pretty narrow reason. There's lots of other reasons why one might you know 
send information to a third party to process it on your behalf. Uh, and, and privacy policies very commonly use that word, right? We share with our business partners for them to process on your behalf or to, to, to execute your requests, et cetera. And that definition in California being so different from people's expectations and even, you know, how it's defined in other laws, I think is going to cause some some weird situations where there's misunderstanding between businesses and, and, and their consumers, right? When Virginia says you have to disclose to an individual um, how you share their information with third parties, do they mean like just in the way that California does or do they mean something broader? And, and that's going to be confusing when, when uh, some, a consumer is coming to a, a company and saying, well, how are you sharing my information? Um, what does that mean? Right. And, you know, I think what's interesting, what you're you know, sort of bringing forward here is that these laws are, you know, the idea behind them is to provide clarity to consumers, right? To alert them as to what of their information is being collected, how it's being used, how it's being sold or shared, how it's being kept. And it's <laughs> because there are a variety of different laws out there um, being introduced and potentially passed, you may end up with the opposite result, which is increased consumer confusion about how their data is being collected and used and shared. So I don't know if that potentially motivates a broader coalition of folks pushing for federal legislation, right? Um, something that's more uniform because, you know, certainly businesses, I would think, would want that for the reasons that you talked about earlier in terms of, you know, the, the subtle differences between these laws being difficult, not just from a, a consumer understanding perspective, but from a company um, perspective, you know, operationalizing the different laws as well as, you know, maintaining information along um, the lines of the different laws, that's problematic for companies. But maybe consumer advocates also sort of see the value in a federal law that enables there to be some standardization, which really sort of helps with consumers ultimately having a better understanding of, again, how their data is being collected, used, shared, and what their rights are. I'm curious to know your your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's right. That that a um, I, I think there will be a lot of incentive across industries, and really, you know, a greater appetite amongst companies to seek a federal law, if only because it's uniform. I think companies would rather have one compliance program than fifty different compliance programs, and you know, it allows a commonality that that sort of sets the ground rules where where a business can can work through how it's going to treat information and communicate effectively with with people uh, with with their consumers about about how information is handled. That, of course, has been something of a, a, a on the table for i don't know 12 almost 15 years uh at the federal level it's been it's been kind of in the air that there should be a privacy law and um some of them have gotten further than others but for various reasons um they just seem to to not quite get past committee they just don't they don't ever ever get momentum um to get to the floor for a vote 
And I, I think that there's a, you know, there's a couple of good substantive reasons for that, uh, where there's, where there's disagreement amongst various members of Congress, but there's also some, you know, in, in, internal issues in terms of, you know, is this, which committee does this come out of? Um, that, that's also making this more difficult as well. Uh, we already have a couple of um, pretty substantial privacy laws in a couple of sectors, right, healthcare and, and finance, and, and just resolving how um, a federal law interacts with those two is, is complicated. Um, and then you have various other, um, you know, committees in Congress that regulate one industry or another, and, and they're very interested in in uh, determining how this impacts those industries. But the big substantive issues at this point seem to be really two, two questions. One is preemption, right? Whether or not this law would preempt state laws in the same area. And, and that's really kind of a two, two parts to that, right? One is, does it just preempt it altogether? Or uh, the other is the possibility that it might be um, something of a floor, right? That federal law would preempt anything lower than it. Uh, but if there's some state law that, that provides additional protections for consumers, that might be okay. You know, that that's just a really hard question for Congress to address because it's, there's, there's, it's hard to find a compromise. And then the second question is, who enforces this, right? Do you have a, is that enforced by the FTC? Um, the FTC would, has, has certainly stuck their head up, hand up and said, you know, they should have enforcement authority. Or is it some other new privacy agency um, like they have in Europe? I mean, that's the, that's the, the model in, in European countries is that they all have a data protection authority. Or is it done through some sort of uh, private right of action, like the, the like the uh, Telephone Consumer Protection Act, the TCPA, which is a federal law that allows consumers to sue uh, companies when they violate uh, when they when they make phone calls or send text messages without permission, essentially. And um, it's a controversial law because it's got a private right of action that can result in tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in damages being awarded, you know, against companies that are trying in good faith to comply. And, you know, that's one of the failures of that law is that it's, um, it's very effective at, at, at generating large damage awards against, you know, large companies that are trying to run legitimate marketing operations. And it doesn't do a very good job at all of uh, stopping those annoying phone calls that we get uh, every day or those those spam text messages that we get every day from uh, less legitimate companies that are essentially judgment proof. So I, I think that once those two issues get resolved and it's hard to predict how they would be, then you know the, the, the nature of a federal law is really appealing to companies because it's, um, I, I mean, it, it, all other things being equal, it, just because of the uniformity. Well, you know, and it's interesting, I'll add, with respect to a federal law, there's also another enforcement option, which is you can have the, a, a federal law that's enforceable by the FTC or a new sort of data protection authority, and that's also enforceable by the states. There are a couple of federal consumer protection statutes that have that sort of structure, including the, the TCPA, um, which is really interesting, right? Because as you said, the enforcement activity that you see on the TCPA is largely through the private right of action. 
I can count on one hand and have fingers left over, you know, thinking about how many times a state AG has enforced the TCPA. It's, it's not that often. Um, and it's not that they're necessarily, you know, I'm sure they're concerned about the practice. It's just that, you know, it could be resources. Um, it could be a variety of issues. But as you say, I don't know that the private enforcement under the TCPA is really achieving you know, it may at some level incentivize companies to comply because they don't want to be hit with these large damage awards. But, you know, so, but I don't know if it's really truly that, that effective because, you know, these, these suits seem to keep coming and we'll see, you know, it's a whole separate issue, separate podcast as to, you know, what happens around the definition of auto dialer with the the pending Supreme Court case and how that affects TCPA enforcement. So there is this other option of having the states be able to enforce the federal law. And coming from my perspective as a, a former, you know, state AG person, I don't know if states are entirely satisfied with that. I think if you were to poll state AGs, I think they would prefer to have uh, the enforcement model where, you know, they can, you know, they can maybe have it both ways, right? Have enforcement under a federal law, but also have the ability to um, have and enforce a state law where the the federal law is, you know, the, the floor model as opposed to having something that preempts state law entirely. Or as you know, you and I discussed when we were talking about this podcast, you know, maybe you have a model where there's preemption of certain pieces in the federal law, but not others. So, you know, you allow for states to have more protective laws in certain areas, but then you have some standardization through express preemption in other areas, which is something that's interesting to think about and, you know, whether that could be a compromise. I mean, on the private right of action, you know, I think that that still continues, will continue to be a non-starter for a, a federal law, right? I think because of exactly what you articulated has occurred under the TCPA. Um, and I think, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of, a lot of pushback on, you know, having, on unintentionally creating a law that is more, um, you know, generator for legal fees as opposed to um, something that actually accomplishes compliance with the law and um, results in uh, protection and redress for consumers. So it'll be interesting to see, and, and something else that you and I talked about too, is that, you know, that it's because the Virginia law is a little, it could be argued that it's more sort of business friendly than the, the CCPA or the, the upcoming, you know, CPRA. Um, it may be that there is somewhat of a campaign going on in the Virginia law and the, the law that's just been introduced in Utah that's very similar to the Virginia law, that that's, you know, a model for what the floor might be in a federal law. Right. And I, I think that, that there's two aspects, two ways of looking at it, how it's business more business friendly. I mean, one, it seems to be, uh, I mean, there's just a few few things that it doesn't require that that uh, California requires that are um, you, you know painful for companies but not necessarily um, hugely beneficial to to consumers uh, but maybe more importantly it's it's just it was drafted in a different way and and it's a little bit easier to 
uh, to implement because it just because of the way just uh, the way that the California law kind of came to be, you can tell that it wasn't drafted by a single person. That it was it kind of became a compromise of of uh, you know, a bunch of different different stakeholders who had very different views of what it should look like, and uh, and therefore it's 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 hard to make sense of some some aspects of it because it's frankly incons- internally inconsistent. The Virginia law is, is is much more consistent that way and much more concise, which is one of the reasons why I think it will, uh, you know, businesses will will kind of put some muscle behind um, suggesting that as the better model, um, even where there's, uh, you know, the, the the law may not actually be all that different. One of the things that I think is different with, you know, that the, the TCPA is also instructive on or, or can, you know, can give us some some ideas about what this looks like in the future for a privacy law is it's a relatively simple law, the TCPA, in, in, in that it specifies, you know, essentially you can only call people or you can only give text messages are really the issue these days. You can only text people when they've given you explicit permission to do so. And, and then if they say stop, you have to stop, right? And that's a relatively, there's a lot of nuance there, but that's a relatively straightforward set of rules as opposed to say something that looks like the CCPA or even the Virginia law, where there is, you know, there are five different types of disclosure and um, that are all different, right? In terms of disclosing who you share with and what information you collect and uh, what information you have about individuals and uh, and then following the instructions with regard to deletion, but then there's all of these caveats for deletion. Those are gonna be, it's gonna be much, much easier to have what you might think of as technical violations of these rules uh, or, or good faith disputes over whether or not a rule was followed, right? And, um, and I think that that's not really conducive to this kind of, big hammer approach that the TCPA has of, well, if you don't do it, each offense is, you know, separately is a $500 statutory damages. That I think is one of the reasons why, you know, these laws might be different. And, and so there might be room, again, as you mentioned, you know, do you have a, a preemption for certain types of activities? You know, do you offer uh, enforcement by uh, individual consumers in certain areas and not in others, right? Where, where certain things would be, you know, subject to uh, enforcement by, by consumers, certain things would be more limited to enforcement by a specialized regulator uh, because of the nature of the risk and harm and the nature of the, uh, the potential for abuse, right? The, and by the way, the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, does exactly that, right? It provides a private right of action for, uh, for data breach, for certain types of data breach, I should say, while not providing for that for, you know, technical violations of, of the disclosure portions of the law. Right. And I think, yeah, exactly right. And I think California has sort of walked that line well with how they did that, with how, with how they allowed for the private right of action for a breach. And then under CPRA, they expand the private right of action a bit more for you know, breaches of particular information, um, such as an email address or a security question. And that all makes sense to me for the reason that you just talked about, you know, these aren't technical violations that are, are probably better enforced by a regulator 
with you know particular expertise in privacy, but also too these are areas where even if they're still addressed through statutory damages, I mean these are areas that more closely adhere to a concept of consumer harm, right? You know where a consumer's information is out there and susceptible to misuse. So it, it makes sense to me philosophically to have that area be um, subject to a private right of action as opposed to the entire law. But, you know, I mean, there are other states. I mean, Oklahoma has a law that's been proposed where it, there's a private right of action and it's, you know, for the whole law. And that law includes, you know, similar to the other ones that we're talking about, you know, consumers' ability to request, you know, the information that's being collected, how it's being used, you know, um, it actually includes an an opt-in to uh, selling of information as opposed to an opt-out, which is, you know, considered to be the, the gold standard by consumer advocate groups in terms of how these laws should be written. Um, there's, I think, some issues with how the Oklahoma law addresses the opt-in piece, but you know, so there are, there are still states out there that are looking at a private right of action for, you know, the entire privacy regime. So it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, I mean, the Oklahoma law is not, it's not where Virginia is. It's not, you know, close to being signed, but it'll be interesting to see how um, these laws sort of shake out and whether or not they ultimately get passed and in what form. And my guess is that, you know, next month we'll have a lot more to talk about on that front. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I, I, and, uh, you know, it's we're still in a, in, a, in a very exciting time from a privacy perspective. Um, you know, I'm I, not necessarily predicting a, a, a federal law in the next um, couple of months, but I think that there's going to be some some pretty significant debate over it in the maybe in the end of the year, unless, uh, you know, some other crisis uh, distracts our our federal government, but in the, you know, in the short term, I think it's really about, about the states and, and to, uh, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, you know, watching what, what's happening in other countries where, you know, privacy continues to be a, a, a fairly significant issue and, um, you know, regulation continues to evolve. Well, uh, that leaves us a lot to talk about <laughs> potentially for next time. Yeah. Next time. Um, thanks to you listener for tuning in to listen to, uh, David and I, uh, unpack all that's going on in the privacy realm. And we'll look forward to, uh, having you join us again for the next one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein high at Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.